Welcome to the Miami Valley Church Podcast. We're so excited that you are here with us. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you are going to hear today. We'd love to have you join us online Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at miamivalley.org. If you love the Miami Valley Church Podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Now go, love the valley right where you are. Thank you so much for inviting me into the church that's meeting in your home today. And to all of those that are gathered, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as I quote Psalm 125. Before you grab a Bible, before you grab your favorite beverage, before you grab something to take notes with, I want you to listen to this psalm. And I want to know how it makes you feel and how it makes you think. So when we're done, I'm going to ask you to put in the comment section, if you're watching on Facebook, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Uh, listen as I quote Psalm 125, a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. Those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. They will not be shaken, but they will endure forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people, both now and forever. The scepter of wickedness will not remain upon the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous turn and use their hands to do evil. O Lord, do good to those who do good, to those whose hearts are upright in tune with You. But banish those who turn to crooked ways. Take them away with those who do evil. Peace be upon Israel. How Psalm 125 make you feel? I know we don't talk about feelings much, but I want to ask you, how does it make you feel? Would you put it in the comment section below? Let me know what you're thinking as we begin Psalm 125. And so as you have your Bibles, let's just look at this psalm. And it boils down to something very simple. I thought long and hard about the title. Again, we're in the series On the Road Again, and I've asked you to submit to me your traveling music, your playlist, your mixtape traveling music, and I got so many. And as I was thinking about the title for this song, uh, I came to the conclusion that I wanted to do something about mountains. And nobody gave me a song about mountains, but some of you, in your humor, gave me this about the traveling music. You said, any banjo music will do. And I think you're doing it because you're fans of Parks and Rec. In fact, one of you even said, in honor of Parks and Rec, because you remember the time that Leslie and Ben are traveling to Indianapolis and Leslie doesn't want anything romantic to happen because they might lose their jobs, so she makes this mixtape and it's all banjo music. Well, in honor of Parks and Rec and banjo music, the title for today's teaching is this, Foggy Mountain Breakdown. And it's kind of cheesy, and I hope you'll forgive me for that. But as the imagery of this psalm is mountains, one of the things I want us to understand is if this topic becomes foggy in our thinking, everything else in our lives, in our families, in our cities, in our country, and in our world will break down. And so I want to talk to you about this issue that we have to have crystal clear in our hearts and in our minds as we follow Jesus. What's the issue? Well, Psalm 125.1 says this, those who trust in the Lord. There's the issue, trust. When trust in God becomes foggy, everything else in our lives breaks down. And so as we think about trust, I need you to think about it as the scriptures teach us to it, teach us about it. The reality of it is that trust in the Lord doesn't matter until it matters. It isn't a thing until it's a thing. Truth be told, most of us, especially American Christians, can live our lives, all of our lives, without ever really having to trust God, unless there's a crisis, unless there's a pandemic, unless there are racial tensions in our country, unless there's a diagnosis that comes that we don't like and we're uncertain about. We don't have to trust God until we have to trust God. For most of us, trust God is simply a phrase that's on our money. And so I want to ask you this morning in the complete honesty, and you don't have to answer to anybody else but you, and God already knows. When it comes to trust, do your actions show that you are trusting God 
or is trust simply another comfortable word in your religious vocabulary? Trust in God. I need you to understand what it is. First of all, I need you to understand that trust, it's a verb. It's an action verb. And it is an inconvenient action verb. And a Hebrew professor, when he was trying to teach us Hebrew words, when he said about trust, he would say this, trust is found in behavior, not dictionaries. Trust is found in actions, not statements. Simply because in God we trust is in our money doesn't mean that in God we trust. And so, again, by your actions, do your actions show consistently that you're trusting God or is trust just a word that you use? What is trust? The very foundation of the Hebrew word means protection. Every Hebrew word has uh, letters that paint a picture, and the picture that this Hebrew word paints is a picture of a fence, of being on the inside of a fence, of, of protection. It's, it's the feeling of security that comes when we know we're protected. Trust. It's that, it's that feeling of security. It's why the songwriter starts, where those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. It's the picture of security. And so uh, what kind of feelings does that produce? Well, first of all, let me ask you to go just a little bit deeper with trust. Trust is this. When I say I trust you to you or to someone else or specifically to God, when I say I trust you, I'm only able to say that if I have complete confidence that you are reliable, responsible, and concerned about me. I can only say I trust you if I am completely confident and can hang my hat on the, on the reality that you are going to bring me only peace. That's why the song, Psalm 125, ends with peace beyond Israel. It's where trust comes from, this, this confidence, this, this assurance that, again, you're reliable, you're responsible, and that you're concerned about me. Think about all the things and all the people you don't trust. Think about the fact of the news station that you watch the cable news channel you watch, why do you watch it? Because you believe they're responsible, reliable, and they're concerned about you. Why don't you watch the other? Because you don't think they're responsible, reliable, and they're not concerned about you. Think about the political party that you're a part of. Again, same thing. You trust them because you believe they're responsible, reliable, and concerned about you. The other political party, not responsible, not reliable, not concerned about you. Pick any issue. Why don't you trust your teenagers completely? <laughs> because there are moments when you're not sure they're responsible, reliable, and that they're concerned about you and the family rules. They might be concerned about teenager things, and so you don't trust. And how hard is that when we say to God, God, I don't trust you because I don't believe you're responsible, reliable, and that you're ultimately concerned about me. Trust. The basic idea of trust is tied again to actions. And so the songwriter says, those who trust in the Lord are secure. And he paints the picture of mountains. So what is that feeling of security that happens? Let me show you four things from Psalm 125 that talk about this feeling of security, why we can trust God. And the first one comes from verse one. Those who trust in the Lord are secure as Mount Zion. They will not be shaken. They will endure forever. When I trust God, I am stirred, but not shaken. Some of you are like, is that James Bond? No, James Bond likes his martinis stirred, not shaken. It's the opposite of James Bond. Trust is the opposite of James Bond. Maybe you'll hold on to that today. I'm, I'm stirred, but not shaken. What does it mean? Have you ever been to the mountains? And when you go to the mountains, there's just something, when you even see them, that stirs something inside of you. It, it makes you see that you're smaller than the mountains. The mountains are just majestic. I had some friends that went on a 
trip to the mountains over the 4th of July holiday and they posted pictures and I was talking to, to this guy about the pictures. Oh, those were more hills than mountains. Those aren't really mountains. that looked like mountains to me. Had some friends that recently went to a family reunion down in the Great Smoky Mountains and I, I felt kind of creepy as I was just watching every video they posted of driving through the mountains because just seeing the mountains and the sunrises and the sunsets and the mountains themselves just stirs something inside of you. And the songwriter, as these pilgrims are ascending to Jerusalem and they see the mountains of Jerusalem, they see Mount Zion and all the surrounding mountains, they're, they're stirred and it says they're not shaken. Maybe you've had a chance to visit the Great Smokies or the Ozark Mountains or the Colorado Rockies, or maybe you've seen the Alps, or maybe you've seen Mount Kilimanjaro, and there's just something about these mountains that stirs inside of you. But the songwriter says, they will not be shaken. It's fascinating to me when God talks about trust in His Word, when He talks about trusting in the Lord. He gives a comparison. When we trust in the Lord, we're secure like the mountains. When we don't trust in the Lord, He gives some other imagery. It's not mountains. When you don't trust in the Lord, He says you're like the sand. You're, you're ever shifting. You're unstable. Uh, Jesus, as he finishes his greatest sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he comes to the conclusion, he said, now if you hear these words of mine and do what I say, you'll be like the person who builds their house upon the rock and the storm's going to come and the house is going to stand. But if you're not a person who trusts me and does what I say, you'll be like the person who builds their house upon the sand and the storm comes and everything is destroyed. He compares the person who trusts to a mountain, the person who doesn't trust, the person of the sand. Not just the sand, he also says the person who doesn't trust is like the sea, tossing, turning, uh, never never settled, uh, uneasy. And uh, read Isaiah 54, read uh, James chapter 1. He also says the person who doesn't trust is, is like the wind, inconsistent, uncertain. You don't know when it's going to blow, where it's going to blow, how hard it's going to blow. Read Ephesians chapter 4. The picture here that God says those who trust in the Lord, they're secure like the mountains. Friends, when you look at your own life, would you say, I'm secure and confident in God, or that you're tossed to and fro based on the whims and the society that we live in? Where is it? Very quickly, let's let me tell you some of the things that rob you of your security. The first one, very simply, is this, your insecurity. Like, Duh, Pastor Tim, that just makes sense. If I'm not secure, I'm insecure. But I see over uh, three decades of pastoral ministry that people really fall insecure in three areas. They fall insecure in the areas of their eternity, in the areas of their identity, and in the areas of their ministry. And so just let me talk about that for a minute. Some of you are insecure. You don't have security. You're not firm and stable because you don't think God could save someone like you. You're not sure about your eternity. You say, I hear God say that um, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive my sins. I hear him say that he demonstrated his love for me in this, that while I was still a sinner, Christ Jesus died for me. But I'm not sure he could love somebody or that he could save somebody like me. I'm not sure that he could forgive. Maybe you've been sinning as recently as last night or as recently as this morning. You're like, God knows my sin and he, he, I'm just not sure I'm forgiven. My friends, I need you to understand this. God's word says, if you confess with your mouth, he's faith, uh, confess with your mouth and believe in your, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's, it's the promise that he can save someone like you. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says this, that the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You can have security and assurance that you are God's child. Your, your eternity is settled with God forever. Jesus on one occasion was speaking, John chapter 10, and he says, uh, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. By the way, what's he come to steal? He comes to steal your eternity. What's he come to kill? He comes to kill your identity. What's he come to destroy? He comes to destroy your ministry. Um, that's a book for another time. 
But Jesus said, I came that you might have life. And because I've given you life, he said, I've got you in my hand and no one can snatch you out of my hand. But then John 20, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 29 says, and the father who's greater than me has you in his hand and no one can snatch you out of his hand. My friend, you can be secure about your eternity. You can trust that he is faithful. Uh, Paul says it this way. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. You can know that your eternity with Jesus is secure. God can save someone like you. Some of you, though, once the enemy can't steal your eternity, you have that secure. The next thing he comes after is your uh, identity and you're insecure in your identity. You're not sure God could love someone like you because the world tells you you're not fast enough, pretty enough, strong enough, good enough, smart enough. And you believe that lies that the world tells you about yourself and you just don't see yourself the way that God sees you. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says this, And if children, then heirs, joint heirs with Jesus to the things about the glory of God. My friends, I need you to understand that God sees you not like the world sees you. God sees you as, your chi- as his child created in his image. You don't have to do anything to earn his love. You don't have to perform anything to keep his love. He just loves you for who you are. And he sees you and you're created in his image. And he did not make a mistake. He's created you just the way he wants you to be. Now, there are things that he's going to change and mold in our lives to make us conform more to the image of Christ. But your identity is found not simply in, not, not in what you do, but simply in who you are. You are his child. God can love someone like you, even if you feel like you're not lovable and the world tells you you're not. Can I say a word out there, especially to my sisters in Christ, especially to my younger sisters in Christ? Do not let any person, any man tell you that you are not lovable because you are not pretty enough and that if you love him or you would just do certain things, my friends, that is not your identity. Your identity is you are precious in God's sight. You are God's beloved daughter. Do not believe the lies. You are his beautiful, precious daughter and he loves you. And my brothers, you're his beautiful, precious sons and he loves you. And don't let anybody tell you that you have to behave a certain way or act in a certain way to get his love the enemy. We're so insecure in our eternity. We're so insecure in our identity. And once we have those two things settled, the enemy tries to rob us of our ministry. Some of you don't think that God could use someone like you. And that's just not true. God says this, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for you to do. He wants to use someone just like you to further his kingdom, to make much of Jesus. And so again, when I trust in God, I am stirred not shaken. The second thing that happens when um, I begin to trust in God, it's I'm surrounded, not forsaken. I struggle with that word. I I wanted to use the word protected, but the songwriter uses in verse 2 the word surrounded. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forever. I struggle with using the word surrounded there because most of the time when we feel surrounded, we feel like the walls are caving in on us. We feel like everything's collapsing around us and we, we start to feel claustrophobic and we don't know and, and we begin to feel forsaken, like, like God's forsaken us. But the word the songwriter uses surround us, the mountains surround Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the highest city. Again, these are songs of ascent for, for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. But once you get to Mount Zion, you look around and there are higher mountains around you. And all of a sudden you, you feel like you're 
in this saucer. You're surrounded by mountains. It's almost as if uh, the songwriter saying, I'm in a sanctuary. It's, it's not the temple. It's not the city, but it's this, this place of refuge that God has created where you're safe and where you're secure. You're, you're in this sanctuary. You're, you're, you're seated there and you're, you, you just know that you're, you're safe because you're surrounded. And not because things are collapsing, but because God's protected. Again, it's the picture of this fence that you're inside, this border that protects you. This word is used in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 6. There's a prophet of God named Elisha, and there's an enemy army invading the land, and Elisha tells the people not to be worried. And Elisha's got a guy that works for him and gets up one morning and goes out and sees the invading armies and all the hills surrounding the city. He comes back to Elisha, and he says, I don't know what we're going to do. The army surrounding, there's the word surrounding the city, and Elisha says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back out. I want you to close your eyes. And Elisha prays. And Elisha prays, God, would you open his eyes so that he might see what's really there? And the, the, the guy that works for Elisha opens his eyes and he sees, the scriptures say, horses and chariots of fire. He sees not now the, the enemy's chariots and horses, but he sees the armies of God that surround. That's the picture that God surrounds us, that God protects us. Jesus' promise is, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But when our trust in God begins to break down, we begin to feel shaken. And the next thing that happens is we begin to feel forsaken that God's abandoned us. And my friends, God wants you to feel surrounded by his love. That's why the scriptures continually, when it talks about going to God as a refuge, said that God goes before us, he walks beside us, us, and he comes behind us. Another way to say it is God is ahead of us, he's alongside of us, and he will come after us. He provides what my mom and dad and those that prayed for me used to call this hedge of protection around me that the enemy and those that work on his behalf cannot penetrate. We're surrounded and we're not forsaken. But then the third thing that begins to happen, once once I feel shaken, I feel forsaken. And once I feel forsaken, then I feel forgotten. That's where verse 3 comes in. When I trust in the Lord, God wants me to know I am remembered and not forgotten. Verse 3 is right there in the middle of Psalm 125, and it gets kind of lengthy. It's, it's wordier, it's longer than the rest of the verses. But here's the gist of what's going on in verse 3. The songwriter says, uh, he says this, uh, the scepter of wickedness, the scepter, that, that ruling authority, that, that, that scepter in a, in a governor's hand that says, I'm in charge. The scepter of wickedness will not remain upon the land allotted to the righteous. Here's what the songwriter is saying. God has made you a promise and he hasn't forgotten the promise. God had promised his people, the land of Israel, to be their land, the place where he would dwell, the place, the land flowing with milk and honey. But imagine our Lord Jesus singing this song as he ascends to Jerusalem for the Passover and as he walks this, this mountain as he ascends and he gets to the Jerusalem, he gets to Mount Zion. Not only does he see this, this beautiful mountain, not only does he see this beautiful temple, but he also sees the fortress of Antonia. The fortress that King Herod had built in honor, in honor of Mark Antony. Yes, that Mark Antony. That, that was meant to house the vestments of the priests. But now as Jesus ascended and the pilgrims ascended to Jerusalem, it housed a Roman garrison of soldiers. And as they ascended, they knew that, that, that Rome was in charge. That, that the scepter of wickedness uh, was taking away the promise that God had given them. And God says, I'm making you this promise. The scepter of wickedness will not remain on the land allotted to the people of righteousness. That God has made a promise and God is going to keep his promise. We can trust um, his word. He will do what he says. He keeps every promise that he ever makes. And so that's the promise. What promises has he made to you? You don't need to feel forgotten, but these people, as they ascend the mountain, in a brief moment, they, they feel like God has forgotten them and that he doesn't remember their promises. 
But here's the fascinating part about this. He says this, uh, The scepter of wickedness will not remain upon the uh, land allotted to the righteous, lest, it's really the word so that, so you ought to get excited, lest the righteous use their hands to do evil. He's like, if wickedness prevails for too long, the righteous, those who follow God, those who go hard after God, they will give in to the prevailing culture of the day and start acting just like those other people act. They'll start doing what the prevailing culture says, forgetting. We're the ones that are in danger of forgetting what God says about how we're supposed to live. And he says, I don't want that to happen. And friends, we need to be very careful because this is the foggy mountain breakdown. When our breakdown in the trust of God happens, we start to feel shaken. We start to feel forsaken. We start to feel forgotten. And then we start to do all kinds of evil, just like the culture around us. And I wonder if right now in the world today, the issue at stake is how much God's people are really trusting him. Friends, trust matters right now. Trust is a thing right now, and I watch and I see in my own life and in the lives of those around me, in the lives of our city and our country and, and the world, the things are starting to break down, and the breakdown is very simply because we don't have a clear understanding of trust, and we give in to the dominant culture instead of the ways that God wants us to live. At the, right there in the middle, and it's the greatest fear of the songwriter that God's people will no longer live God's way. So, do you see the breakdown? I, um, I'm not stirred. I'm shaken. I, I feel like I've been forsaken. I'm not surrounded and protected by God. Um, I, I feel like uh, I've been forgotten and not remembered, which leads then to the last thing, verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5 very simply tell me that I need to be emboldened, not frightened. You see the progression, the breakdown? I'm, I'm shaken. I feel forsaken, I feel forgotten, and then I feel frightened, and then I start to do evil. The songwriter says this, he, he's emboldened, and this is a prayer. I don't know if you pray bold, bold prayers like this, but this songwriter is praying a really bold prayer. He says, Oh Lord, do good to those who are good, to those whose hearts are upright, in tune with you, but banish those who turn to crooked ways. Take them away with those who do evil. You see the comparison. Those who turn to crooked ways, those who are, who are, uh, uh, whose hearts are upright, who are, who are straight. And he prays this emboldened prayer. God, I want to do good because you're good and I trust you. Do you notice here what emboldens him? What emboldens him is his trust. He trusts God. And when I trust God, I trust that he's going to do good because he is good. I trust that he's going to deal with evil because that's what he's going to do. And I don't have to worry about evil. And if I don't have to worry about evil, then I can focus out and focus on going out and doing the good things that God wants me to do. But you see how that flips, how that breaks down when we're worried, when we're afraid. When we're afraid that evil's going to win, we focus more on going out and correcting the evil, which that's God's job than on doing the good which God has called us to do. You're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. And so things begin to break down. And so the songwriter says, do good to those who are good. What's it mean to be good? Those whose hearts are upright. There's the straight. We're, we're walking the straight path, the narrow path. We're not following crooked ways because we follow crooked ways. We're emboldened. The, the prayer, the songwriter says, God, just, just banish them. Do away with them. Take them away with everyone who does evil. And then he ends the prayer very simply with this, peace be on Israel. 
And I think it's a prayer for peace for the nation. And I think we need to be praying that prayer. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to pray for the peace of Israel. But I think it's also, we can begin to understand, we need to also pray for the peace of the people of God, Israel, the, the people of God. And we can pray for the peace in our lives, in our homes, in our cities, in our country, and in the world as well. Peace. I don't know about you, but when my trust in God breaks down, everything else becomes foggy. And when I understand that my trust in God is foggy, I begin to understand that I sin. And when I sin, I see my sin in two places. And my sin in two places really goes back to trust. And the first place where I sin when it comes to trust is this. I place someone or something else in the place of God, and I trust that or that thing or that person more than I trust God. And friends, that is sin. If I trust something more than I trust God. That thing has become an idol, and those things are sin. Can I share with you just very quickly as I study the scriptures and as I look at our culture today, I see a trust in other things and in, in, in things besides God in three places. And the first place I see it is I see trust being placed in religion. I, I see it, uh, Jeremiah, about 600 years before Jesus is on the scene, he prophesies to the People that if they don't change their ways, that God's going to take them away into exile. And the people say, no, he's not. And they come up with this chant, Jeremiah chapter 7. The chant is, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Their idea is the temple of the Lord's never been destroyed. And so he's just not going to destroy it now. And Jeremiah says, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 4, do not trust in the deceptive words, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Here's the deal. The people have become obsessed with the temple of the Lord, and they had forgotten the Lord of the temple. And I think in the church as a whole right now, we're coming face to face with that reality. We've trusted more in the buildings of the Lord than the Lord of the buildings. And I hear so many people say, I'm not going to be able to worship until I get back in a building, until we can have the building. My friends, the church has never been the building. And we have this obsession. Have you become more obsessed with the building of the Lord than the Lord of the building? We've had the chance, Pastor Worldridge and uh, Pastor Brian Underwood and Pastor Chris Carpenter have been talking to pastors all across the world in Southeast Asia and in Africa. And there seems to be this growing consensus that God's people need to be called out of church buildings whether they're in a, in a building or in a home and going out to the people. That's the call of the church. And I see us placing our trust in religion. Second place I see people placing their trust instead of, in, uh, of, instead of Christ is I see them placing their trust in politics. Psalm chapter 20, the songwriter says, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. What he's saying is some are trusting in the political might and political power of the day. And friends, I was appalled, and I don't use that word very often, when I saw one of my friends that I know personally retweet a tweet recently, and he said in his tweet of the retweet, he said, I believe this with all of my heart. And the tweet simply said that if the election in 2020 in America doesn't go a certain way, that the fate of Christianity is at stake. My friends, the fate of Christianity has been established when Jesus became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, and walked out of the tomb on the third day. Christianity is not contingent upon who wins an election. And we begin to trace our, put our trust in politics other than in Christ. We put our trust in religion. We put our trust in politics. And then we put our trust in people. In Psalm 120, the songwriter says, uh, Psalm 118 the psalm writer says this, um, uh, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put your trust in humans. It is better to, put, to take refuge in the Lord than to put your trust in princes. 
and we tend to put our trust in human beings. By the way, it's interesting if you study the Old Testament word for trust, over and over again, hundreds of times it's used about trusting God. Only once is it used in a positive way about trusting another human being. Saw so Proverbs 31 when it's talked about how husband's supposed to trust his wife. Fascinating study. But it's trust. And I just want to know, where are you putting your trust? The first sin is the sin of substitution. When I put my trust in someone or something besides the Lord. The second sin when it comes to trust is the sin of inactivity. What do I mean by that? We believe that Moses taught and Jesus uh, echoed. We believe that God uh, commands and Jesus confirms that the greatest commandment is this, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. It boils down to loving God with all. If I don't love him with all and I substitute that love for him, I'm not trusting him. But then his love calls me to action to love my neighbor as I love myself. On one occasion, recorded in Luke chapter 10, a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, uh, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the law, how, how do you read it? And the, and the man says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've read correctly, go do that and you will live. Go put it into action. But so many of us, when our trust in God begins to break down, we stop doing the things that God has called us to do. And it can be simple things, like really spending time in His Word. I don't have to trust Him. I really don't need to understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I don't need to pray. I don't need to spend time in His Word. I don't need to count on Him as my sanctuary. I can trust in something else. Or it can be in something something major where, where I wait. God tells me to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. I'll put that off. God calls me to take a stand for racial inequality. God calls me to stand with my uh, my black brother and sister and let them know, yes, I believe your life matters. God calls me to take a stand with police officers and say, not all of you are bad. You do an amazing work. God calls me to take a stand to, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. Oh, I'll get to that later. My friend, trust boils down to this. It's either I'm here now or I'll be back. And most of us, when it comes to trust, say, God, I'll be back. And that's a sin. And so I just want to ask you this morning, one more time, do your actions show that you're trusting God or is trust merely a comfortable word in your religious vocabulary? God has promised you peace. And it starts with you getting clarity about what it means to trust Him. And to trust Him means you'll trust Him as your sanctuary. I want to invite you to listen right now, before I pray, before we do anything else, to this song simply titled Sanctuary. And I ask you to evaluate your trust. Is it clear or are things broken down and do you just need to go back to God? And like the songwriter says in Psalm 53, 6, when I am afraid, I will trust you. You continue to worship as Ava leads us in the song Sanctuary.
I don't know what this means. I don't have a master plan. We don't have a master plan. But I believe we have the master's plan. And we've confronted the resurrected Jesus. And he's told us to reach this valley for Jesus Christ. And we're not going to do that effectively from the corner of Fifth and Park anymore. And so I just want you to know I believe with all of my heart that it's time for us to move uh, with us. And so I started praying as I always do uh, last year. Hey, God, what are you, what are you wanting to, to say to us as we begin the new year? And, and God just kept taking me to, to one passage of Scripture, actually one chapter of Scripture. Uh, I have just been wrestling with this passage of Scripture from, from Psalm uh, 37, and, and it really boils down uh, to this. The spiritual journey, all spiritual movement boils down to, to one question. Will I trust God? And if the answer to that question is no, my spiritual movement is going to be backwards. If the answer to that question is yes, I will trust God, the spiritual movement is going to be forwards. There is no spiritual movement without answering that question in every situation and everything we face. Will I trust God? And so whatever happens over these next 3,649 days, those two things have to happen in my life every single day. I need to trust the Lord and I need to spend part of my time doing good. Trust the Lord and do good. Trust the Lord and do good. Trust the Lord. What's that going to look like? I don't know exactly. But I know that's what he's going to call me to do. Six words, trust the Lord and do good. So over the next year, when it comes to trust, my experience tells me that when we come to a crisis of faith, when we come to a moment of trust, one of two things is going to happen. We're going to say, I'm going to trust God with something. I'm going to trust God with everything. Or I'm going to trust God with nothing. And I'm going to invite you today, I'm being totally transparent, I'm going to invite you today to take your doubts that you have about God, to take all the unanswered questions, to take your Exhibit A, whatever it might be, I'm going to ask you to fold them up, I'm going to ask you to put them in your backpack, and I'm going to ask you to take a step on the journey. Does it it trouble anybody else that Jesus, when he came to town, didn't start with Rome, he didn't start with Pilate, he didn't start with the political system, he started with the house of God. I think it's why Peter says it's time for judgment to begin with the house of God. Second, verse 2, 3, 4, and 5 of the Old Testament all correspond to that season of life when God's people are being set free from the land of uh, slavery and moving to the land of freedom. It's called the wilderness period. It's called the, the journey period. And I believe that's the image God's put on my heart, that this is a, this is a wilderness season for our church. It's a wilderness season for the church in America. And I think it's a wilderness season uh, for the church around the world because the reality, friends, is especially for the church in America, what we've been doing as a church, not just a little church, but all the churches in America, it just hasn't been working. And I think God has thrust us in the season to get our attention to show us what things need to be changed. If, if you've shared with so many of you over the different calls that we've been on, I believe with all of my heart that we have to look at this season not as an interruption, but as a disruption. That it wasn't just an interruption that, hey, we have to be out of the building for 15, 20, however many weeks it's going to end up being, and so that we can go back to the We are 
Trust doesn't matter until it matters. Brothers and sisters, it matters now. Trust isn't a thing until it's a thing. And in our society, and in our culture, in our city, in our homes, it's a thing right now. And so I want to know, are you trusting God? Did you hear the words of the song? Um, I trust in your word. You do what you say. I hope in your promises that there is an empty grave. Friends, get crystal clear about your trust in God. Right here, right now. Show up trust him. Father, I pray that we would, as your people, understand you are God, you are good, and you call us to trust you. We trust you now, not with words, but with actions. Father, may we be people who trust you. May we be crystal clear, and may there be no more breakdown in our lives, in our homes, in our city, in our country, in our world, because we trust you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Oh uh...